0: In December of 1992, a Canadian band called the Bare Naked Ladies released a song that would not only define my college years, but my early married life as well. The song was called If I Had a Million Dollars. Written in what is known as a call and response dialogue, the song is basically a conversation between two guys concerning what they would do if they had a million dollars. The tune is catchy, the freeform banner is engaging. And for a while there, it played constantly on my local radio station, which was fine by me because I love the song. I could relate, and I made evenings driving from college to terrible jobs and then home to start work and eat a meager meal bearable, even enjoyable, because listening to that lighthearted song, I felt like one day all of this work is going to pay off. And like this song claimed at the end, I'd be rich. Back in the day, my favorite part of the song were always the lines that said, if I had a million dollars, we wouldn't have to eat Kraft dinner. To which the response quickly comes, but we would eat Kraft dinner. And then the best part which says, of course we would, we'd just eat more of it. Did this ever resonate with me? For years and years, my husband and I have lived off of Kraft dinner, ramen noodles, and a variety of corn, rice, and bean concoctions. We've eaten so much taco soup and chili. In fact, I remember crying one night as we sat with our young family around the dinner table, eating chili for the third night in a row. I told my husband that if we ever make it, I will never serve chili again. To which he replied he wouldn't mind as long as I always kept serving it with cornbread.
1: This is Elizabeth and Liz from Simple Simon and Company, and you are listening to Stitched. Today's episode is sponsored by Baby Lock. In the early 1800s, farming and hunting were the primary sources of food for the majority of those living in America. Meals consisted mostly of bread and vegetables. However, the upper class enjoyed a much more protein-rich diet. This was due to the fact that the upper class usually owned more land which allowed them to hunt and protected them from poaching laws that most other citizens were subjected to. As the westward movement began and pioneers set out on their journey, those adventurers didn't see a major change in their diets. Cornmeal, bacon, biscuits, and coffee sustained travelers along with whatever fruits, berries, and game they could scavenge along the way. However, once pioneers reached their final destination, gardens were quickly planted and filled with precious seeds. On the frontier, a kitchen garden was planted twice a year, once in the spring with items such as peas, radishes, and cabbage, and then again later in the summer with staples such as squash, beans, and potatoes that would sustain them through the winter. Apart from the kitchen garden would be planted a large-sized corn crop. Corn was essential to sustaining life on the frontier, important not only as a vegetable to be eaten on the cob, but also as a food source to be dried, ground, and used in biscuit and bread making. As trade routes were forged, women were able to gain access to new ingredients and spices. However, these new additions were used primarily only as a supplement for the items that were already growing in their own backyard.
0: It's time for our sponsor shout out, and today's episode is brought to you by Baby Lock's brand new line of machines called the Genuine Collection. Baby Lock's Genuine Collection is designed for a creative mind like yours. You bring the enthusiasm, spirit, and creativity, and the Genuine Collection will help you bring those ideas to life. After all, sewing is not only about the machine, it's about you and how you feel when you create. So ask yourself, what do I want to make today? Visit babylockcom backslash genuine to learn more. It has been said that the history of
1: America can be seen in the history of our quilts. The environment, culture, and society in which each quilt was made is reflected in the patterns, fabric, and stitching chosen. Such is the case with the corn and beans quilt block. Traditionally sewn up in gold, green, and white, this block is reminiscent of a corn and beans heavy meal piled up on a plate served by the frontier women who gave the block its name. The corn and beans block belongs to a large category of quilt blocks that received names based on everyday sights, commonplace during life in the 1800s. Blocks such as the log cabin, flying geese, and the churn dash all of which have become instantly recognizable in popular quilting. However, the corn and beans quilt block hasn't achieved the same level of fame. This may be in part due to the complexity of its design. Like the log cabin quilt block construction, this block traditionally begins in the center and works its way outward. But unlike the log cabin that is sewn together with simple squares and rectangles, A corn and beans block requires a series of half-square triangles of varying sizes. In fact, this block, depending on how it's constructed, can require over 30 half-square triangles. And all those half-square triangles mean that the quilter will spend a lot of time cutting, trimming, squaring up, and then repeating that same process over and over again. It is this tedious work that may lead some to shy away from this beautiful block. However, if one trusts the process, repeats the steps, and is patient, she will soon discover the block is finished, and that what she has created is an interesting and unique quilt block indeed.
0: It is truly worth the work. 20 years ago, my husband and I bought a small artificial Christmas tree and one string of lights. It was our Christmas gift to each other. We couldn't afford decorations, but we didn't care. It was magnificent. The next year we purchased more lights and several boxes of glass ornaments, again as our Christmas gifts to each other. This continued for the next few years until our tree was bursting with lights and color. Each holiday season we loved pulling out the tree and decorating it. In our home filled with hand-me-down items, this tree, with its shiny decorations, Felt like a little piece of heaven, and we spent hours next to it with the lights blazing. Until one year. The year our oldest could walk. And we quickly learned that breakable ornaments, and toddlers, don't mix. Our beloved ornaments were boxed away and replaced with a supply of colorful plastic ornaments that grew in quantity over the years. And our tree enjoyed a long, happy life. Until this year, when it was damaged in our move. And I have to admit, I felt a little teary putting it on the truck to be hauled away. However, last month, my husband and I went out for a date night. But instead, we got a little sidetracked and spent all of our date night money, as well as some of our grocery money, on a brand new tree that just happened to be on sale and is twice as tall as the old one. And then we raced back home and set it up with the kids. It was also magnificent. And there it stood for two days, undecorated and waiting. Waiting for us to find the boxes filled with glass ornaments almost two decades old. Our children are no longer toddlers, and we knew that this year we could bring back those special ornaments that had meant so much to us. We spent an entire evening unwrapping them and decorating the tree while dinner cooked on the stove. The kids were happy, music was playing, and the dog was curled up by the fire in the fireplace. I watched as my husband steadied the ladder for my teenager as he put the star on top of the tree, and I realized that suddenly, without knowing it, I had become rich. Me, the girl from nowhere who still drives a compact car and sings along to the radio, I was rich. No, we don't have a million dollars, and I probably never will but all those years of working and saving and struggling seemed like such a small price to pay to be there in that moment. I have so much more than I ever dreamed. I said a silent prayer and I thanked God for helping me stay the course and for the blessings I enjoy. And then I smelled dinner starting to burn on the stove. The chili. Yes, the chili bubbling away in a pot twice as large as the one I used to use. Seems those bare-naked ladies were right. Even if we don't have to eat craft dinner, or in our case chili, we still will. We'll just eat more of it. And then I smiled, because it was time to make the cornbread.
1: Our stories projects and quilt tutorials visit us over at www.simplesimonandco.com there you will find a variety of quilt patterns projects and tutorials thanks so much for listening and if you have a minute please leave us a comment or a review these help other listeners find our podcast and keep us on the air